0: Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed Play Love, a bite sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding, and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Apparently, the research is in. Romantic love suffers once children come along. At least that's according to Professor of Psychology Matthew Johnson, the Director of the Marriage and Family Studies Laboratory. At the State University of New York. He says there are a number of reasons for this. Some of those include that our identities change from lovers to parents, and there's often an increase of domestic burden on one partner, usually the woman if it's a heterosexual relationship. But what if we're in love and we want kids? What if we have kids and we want to stay in love? Elizabeth Shaw is a psychologist and the CEO of Relationships Australia New South Wales. Hi Elizabeth, how are you? Hi, good, thank you. Would you agree with Professor Matthew Johnson? Does partner satisfaction decrease after the arrival of kids?
1: Look, I think it can in the period after the arrival of the baby because in fact that can be an incredibly intimate time it may not be romantic in the way that we often think of romance but it is often if, if this baby is very wanted and uh, both people have been looking forward to the baby's arrival it's actually a really lovely intimate time where couples circle the wagons, you know, and just want to sort of stay home and stare at what they've created, you know. <laughs> and so, and and you see that in, in early photos, you know, you, you actually can see how in love they are with each other and also with children. So those are often the shots that you see. But as the weeks turn into months and after, you know, the first couple of years, then, you know, certainly things can get tougher over time once the romance wears off and and also once you have to get back to normal life, because you might have both taken time off for a period from work. Uh, and if one returns to work, things change a lot.
0: Well, let's go through a few of the common pain points that you will see in any Facebook feed about parenthood. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. perhaps if you could maybe suggest some ways we could deal with them that might help. Let's look at the early, early days of parenting when one partner, particularly if it's a breastfeeding mother, is getting up all the time to a crying baby? What's the best way to deal with that?
1: Well, look, I think um, I think you can never prepare for these things because you you sort of know in your head you, you want to breastfeed and that that's all going to be doable. And it's only when you're alone in the middle of the night with mastitis that you sort of get the full force of how alone you feel (laughs) and um and so i think there's a there's a lot to be said about how the couple prepares for um feeding and what their expectations are because where the couple might have agreed or one person um the the woman has a real commitment to persisting with breastfeeding then it, it also can make if there's a male partner or the non-breastfeeding partner, feel very left out because what can you do to help? But in fact, the couples who actually say, well, I'd like to share this, I want to breastfeed, but I want to share it, will consider things like expressing so that the 3 a.m. feed, the other parent can still getting breast milk, sharing the sleeping, but also sharing the bonding. So sometimes the couple that can work together like that from early on can be more sort of fluid and creative. And it also allows the mum to go and get her hair done and other things all become more doable if there's a genuine sense of replacement. I think the other things that sometimes couples do to just feel in it together, particularly if both are uh, at home for a little bit without working is it may be that the you know, the dad, if it's a male partner, um, goes and gets the baby and and brings the baby into bed, or brings the baby to the mum, and then goes back to bed just to sort of feel part of it. But again, once you go back to work, sometimes just the reality of who's getting sleep and who isn't is tricky. I think the other thing is that if you can negotiate work hours where the non-feeding parent can have a late start, so there's a bit of sleeping in that kind of thing, there's all sorts of ways in which you can feel in it together, even if you're not absolutely replacing each other in the task.
0: And I think in that, for me anyway, the missing piece of the puzzle is an absolute acceptance of how challenging this period can be, as in, physically, emotionally challenging when you're not getting sleep, when you're looking after a little baby. And yet we kind of expect couples just to muck their way through it because that's what we've always done. But a little bit of leeway with workplaces that allow us sleep in, that could make so much difference to the kind of lifestyle a young family would have. And by lifestyle, I mean simply feeling healthy and refreshed and able to look after a small child?
1: Oh look absolutely and I think you know particularly for men there's still enough workplaces who who don't engage around that stuff but also a lot of men who feel that enormous responsibility as the sole breadwinner to not rock the boat. I think sometimes it can look like the man's just can't wait to get out of the house and and go to work but sometimes that fear about exposing well I've got needs too and the worry about compromising work or the worry about well I've had a baby I don't want to look like a wuss or I don't look you know want to look like I'm not managing or sometimes even the couple thinking, look, you go to work and let's save up in case we need you for sick leave or carer's leave. So I think sometimes even the couple cuts corners in trying to keep the show on the road as much as possible as it was before and that can make things really hard.
0: I wanted to go back just briefly to what you were mentioning there in terms of having one partner get up to feed the baby I just wanted to add that if anyone is thinking that and thinking, oh, it's just too hard to express and then do I may as well just get up and feed them. There's nothing wrong with giving a baby a formula feed, mix feeding, breastfeeding and formula feeding. No one is going to kill their baby doing that. It, it could be something that gives you a bit more sanity. You know, we get so attached to ideas of what we need to be doing for our baby that we we can't even see the flexibility that will make our lives and our our life with our partner better.
1: Look, absolutely. I think one of the worst things that that we do is we somehow enshrine better and worse parenting. You know, um, and it starts from the so called natural birth compared to what is what is everything else. You know, like any other mm. kind of assisted delivery is seen to be then unnatural. The same happens with breastfeeding. That any consideration that for our family or for whatever circumstances including being unable to feed becomes the judgment of women who in fact haven't stepped up are being selfish and it becomes almost like a a silence that you're not allowed to mention what if I'm doing this swapping a formula feed for or even entirely moving to formula. I think this is really hard for any parent who needs or wants to formula feed their babies that, um, that they have to wade through a lot of judgment. So that's where as a couple being strong in your own views and making sure you get support for your views so that you feel informed and you know educated and solid in yourself, then you can buffer anything.
0: Let's talk about another pain point that seems to start once the baby's born and just keeps on going, and that is um, when the domestic burden might fall more on the shoulders of the stay-at-home parent than the one that is at work. So that means that they're doing the majority of the child-rearing but also the cleaning, cooking and otherwise running of the household. Uh, That can cause a lot of resentment. And I'm wondering, is there a way of managing or dealing with that that won't lead to resentment?
1: Look, definitely um, really, really clear discussions about it are critical and that these are not a set-and-forget conversations that you you need to revisit them regularly over time, depending on circumstances. And even if you have upfront agreements to know that that doesn't mean on any one day or week or month that they may um, need to change. So in some ways, it just is sort of makes intuitive sense that if someone is more based at home, if they can get a bit more stuff done that needs to be done as a family there can be more family time you know later so it kind of makes sense about that but therefore couples who have often been very egalitarian prior to having children fall into this arrangement which makes sense the trouble is that couples don't revisit it and it becomes the norm from then on because if that parent then goes on to work part-time does the same arrangement exist that will your home more so you can still maintain the lot. And so couples don't stop and recalibrate the arrangements. Um, the other thing that is a common problem is that too much is put on to the topic of your home so maybe you can do more things. And it's amazing how much women buy into this, that um, it's not just maybe doing the general domestics that anyone has to do, like the vacuuming or clean the bathroom. They're often doing things that would ordinarily be shared or given over to one's partner, for example, ironing his shirts, you know, things like that which which are not family work they actually are things that he could be responsible for or for example when everybody's home you could still share who cooks um so that's the trouble with domestic work for women over generations domestic becomes every single thing that happens in the house rather than saying well what do we consider general family work and what is in fact your responsibility to maintain as a grown-up and what can i still count on on you to do so it still may be that one's partner picks up their own dry cleaning on the way home like they always did before children things like that and you still help each other out as favors but it's making sure that the transfer of responsibility isn't sweeping too much into the same pot and that you don't just get stuck doing that forever after Mm -hmm. Um, i think too that when you're both home you should move into well now everybody pitches in as opposed to well i'm home my work's finished but yours keeps going
0: yeah and i imagine that this is um a big problem now that a lot of partners are both working at home and yet you hear even though both partners are working from home that the domestic load is still falling in heterosexual relationships on the shoulders of women which is quite interesting because you think well You're both there. You can both throw on a load of washing. Why is it that she's doing that or why is it that she's doing the homework or the homeschooling? It it sounds like in some ways working from home made things more equitable and in other ways it made it um, just as bad, if not worse, before lockdowns. (laughs)
1: Well, that's true because not only did the work continue, but, you know, again, that's about couples not stopping and using the changed circumstances for a conversation. So I think on the one hand, things just sort of carried on. But the other thing is the household work got greater because everyone was home. So there was more mess, more shopping, you know. And so it's a problem in in volume. I think, too, that women can get very stuck in not knowing how to change the situation and of course you can't always single-handedly but I think unfortunately women will often get caught up in doing it resentfully and then complaining Mm. and um, then can get tuned out oh there goes mum again banging on about that same old whinging kind of thing and which is deeply offensive and and upsetting but I think that's about sitting down and saying look, we find ourselves in this changed circumstance, or I've now got a full-time job, or I just realise I need this to change, or, you know, it's the weekend to like pick anything and say, it's time we had a look at this. And the other thing that couples often do is just get stuck passing the hot potato between them and don't notice that kids can be part of a, a family plan. Because when you look around, often you'll find kids are of an age where This actually could be something where we all pitch in. The kids could be doing the dishes. Some kids could be cooking a meal on the weekend. It may well be they could be vacuuming their own rooms. It's amazing how couples get into just saying, well, it's your turn, it's your turn, without saying, you know, why don't we together look at this in a much more creative way?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny when you turn around and think, hey, hold on a minute, why am I still getting you a drink to your child? (laughs) And then you're like, actually, you can get yourself a drink and you can clean the bathroom while you're at it. Exactly. Um, (laughs) The other thing that can be really hard to manage is financial stress, particularly given the times we've been living through when um, partners have been made redundant and uh, financial stress can be very challenging at the best of times. Have you got any pointers on how couples can deal with that?
1: Look, I think, again, um, many of these really difficult topics do come down to really good communication that is revisited. I think it's really important to mention those two things that even with finances you can't set and forget. So as you move into a time of different financial arrangements, it really is looking at expectations and and including things like spending patterns that just to call out. If you do it in advance, it doesn't have to be negative because it's say, well, let's call out that within six months, we're only going to have one income. How are we going to go? Um, How's that going to be challenging? And if one person has earned, you know, really good money and therefore happily spends it and that's all been fine, what does it mean for personalities and pleasures? And you know what we've done as a couple with our money. When moving from independence to dependence can be very confronting, and sometimes having discretionary money can be an important way not to go into battle. So if you've got separate accounts where it is okay to, spend, I think that can be really important. Um, I think to it's it's about um, it's about. Uh, you know, how do we actually compensate ourselves for the life we lead? Again, when you've got two incomes, you might have regularly gone out to dinner or had weekends away. And to say, well, money has been a big part of how we've done romance or connection, and we may not have the money and we might not be able to go out because we've got a babysitter anyway. So how are we going to do that without maybe it involving money? Because, you know, if, if it's dependent on, well, a bit of couple fun is takeaway or a bit of couple fun is tickets to the theater then you might need to say how do we do couple fun on the couch with the baby in the next room and and that then is a challenge for life because i think most couples that i've seen in my long career do see couple time as very linked to being able to get out on their own it's really hard to maintain Good robust intimacy when you're just stuck on the couch together. <laughs>
0: yes, that's true. Particularly it's
1: so <laughs> domestic and boring, isn't
0: it? Yeah, particularly if one of the partners is snoring, not saying anything exactly. about my own life. <laughs> 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 you mentioned there that idea of um how you would see romance and the time you spend with your partner as, you know, getting out of the house doing exciting things. There is also that element of your life that you know, pre-children you wouldn't have even needed to define, but which is essentially time on your own. So when you pre-children, you probably probably wasn't even something you needed to talk about because you had so much time you could be with each other and still have your own time to do whatever that might be, whether it was read a book, see your friends, go for a swim. Those things all change once you have children. And I don't know about other couples, but I know my husband and I, Definitely fell into a negotiation slash uh, tug of war about who got time to themselves because it was such a precious commodity, and it was likely, still is likely in many ways that we could only do it once a week, maybe if we're lucky. So how do you move out of that place of keeping score of who gets time off when you know you're trying to fit so much in? You're trying to fit in time with your partner your work, your children. I can't believe I made children third, but they're, they're very high <laughs> on that priority list, right? Um, yeah, but it, that, that time on your own is essential for so many people to make sure they can keep going in the other facets of their life.
1: Well, I think that's a really important point, just, just what you said then, because if you frame it as, me time in a way that invites you to feel selfish or you know you it's a negative construction like gee what's the matter with me that i want to get away from my own baby or what does it say about our relationship that i want to get away from him or her instead of saying that time to sort of gather oneself and just think a few quiet thoughts go and do something for yourself is part of being an an autonomous individual and it's something that in Western society we've been trained to value so it's no surprise that we need it but if we can see it as time to top up and come back to the nest refreshed and invigorated and in fact with news you know because couples can get very stale and just talk about the baby or work but to come back and say I ran into this person on the street or you know, my body feels great after that jog or whatever it is that you've done, what that does is it brings life to the relationship and it stops the couple over-relying on each other as the sole source of entertainment. So what it does is it brings energy and life and news to everybody. So I think if you can see it that way rather than when you get into that tug of war, it can often be um, <clears throat> feeling suffocated or, you um, tied up. You won't let me be myself. When you get into that, or you had 10 minutes more than I did, usually it's because everyone's really deprived. That's a conversation of deprivation. And it means that there may be also a greater issues of fairness and equity in the relationship, but usually it's about people running on empty and and needing a bit of a top up.
0: Elizabeth, there's so much there to think about. Thank you so much for your time today. It's a pleasure. That's Elizabeth Shaw. She's the CEO of Relationships Australia New South Wales. I'll put links to their website in the notes of this episode. I'm Siobhan Hunt. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please rate and review us so we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, send your email to feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.